So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about this theme, I am worthy. We've, we've done I am unlimited, I am love, I am changing, and now this month we are wrapping up I am worthy. And I um, just wanted to share a, a quote with you from Thomas Merton to begin. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business. And in fact, it's nobody's business. What we are asked to do is love. And this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. The more we love, the more worthy we feel. The more we see in our neighbor somebody worthy and loving, worthy of love, the more we will see them as, as, as important investments in our own lives. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. This, this, last, uh, this last weekend, the last three weekends really, have been especially fun for me and especially meaningful for me. Three weekends ago, I went with a few of our YOU, Youth of Unity, a few of our high schoolers, from here downtown to commit acts of service and kindness and compassion. We held signs that affirmed the worth of each person, and folks honked and smiled or frowned and ignored us, and it was fine. It was just fine. It was a lovely afternoon. A simple reminder that everyone is beautiful and worthwhile seems to be a good way to spend a couple of hours on a Saturday afternoon. And then last weekend, more of YOU, more kids from YOU, and and I went to Denver for an overnight dance, an Earth Day dance. And they made skits, and they danced, and they talked about the Earth and its beauty and its worthiness. How we're all caught up and a network of mutuality. And yesterday, I had the good privilege of accompanying five people from here, five adults from Unity, on an urban experience. This is a program put together by the Pikes Peak Justice and Peace Commission here in town. And it's a walking tour of downtown, parts that you might not normally see, some of the shelters and organizations that serve the homeless, the Marion House Soup Kitchen, and places along the creek where you might see folks who are camping out or sleeping or setting up tents. I remember being under the Cimarron Street Bridge, a bridge I drive over every day because I live here on the west side of town. So I drive over Cimarron Street Bridge almost every day in my little VW But under the bridge where we were, I saw a man sleeping in the distance. I would have never have seen him if I hadn't taken this guided walk on this particular day with these people. I remember in that moment focusing on the worth and dignity of every person as a fundamental principle of my life. And I remembered that focusing on that worth and dignity, seeing within every person their Christ consciousness, his Christ consciousness, her Christ consciousness, whether it is obvious or not, is an exercise in having new eyes to see. It is a conscious, intentional act of prayer. 
Give me new eyes to see so that my biases, my prejudices, my agenda, my stuff do not get in the way of seeing the person right in front of me for what they are. A child of God, an expression of God, a revelation of God. Give me new eyes to see that I will come to see that person in front of me as my teacher. Or as we might say it in unity, I have new eyes to see. I set aside my agenda. I set aside my bias. I set aside my prejudice so that that will not control me. And I have new eyes to see that the person in front of me is Christ, is holy, is a sacrament by themselves. We had lunch at the Marion House, the shelter downtown. We each sat separately from one another. And I sat with two people across from me who, I kid you not, started talking and arguing about the Bible. I don't know how this, like, what did, I, what did I do to attract this, you know? But they started talking about the Bible. And I'm like, hello. And um, I thought to myself in that moment, well, I could be at lunch with certain of my friends who might not, you know, who might start arguing with each other about the Bible. This is not so different. So I connected, I listened, I, 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 I heard them out. And, um, and just like that, they were gone. They left and they were off to the next thing that they were doing. And then a person came up next to me, looked pretty well put together, had a baseball cap on. I started talking to him. We started chatting, and he said, you know, I take care of my mom. She's elderly. We, I live in her house, and I take care of her, and, and, um, and she avoids a nursing home that way. So we can afford rent, and we can afford food, but food is tight. You know, food is tight. And um, I have to come here for lunch every day so that I can uh, stretch the budget. And I thought to myself, I know about stretching budgets. I know what it is to have to maneuver and negotiate and keep things together so that there's enough food on the table and so on. And so I connected with him. And I thought, I, I understand that. And we spent, we spent the bulk of our time talking about baseball, Right? Uh, I wasn't up here and he wasn't down here. We were just two fellows who liked baseball talking about it and I connected with him. Which isn't about my ability to connect. It's, it's, a, it's about the, the Spirit's ability to, to, to remind you of certain important things. As Casey said after the lunch, we're surrounded by regular folks when we were processing our time together, these are regular folks. Some are caught in terrible addictions. Some are food insecure, like the fellow I met. Some are in the grips of untreated mental illness, which is horrible. We walked from 9 to 3 yesterday. We met new people. And some are trying to help, and some are in need of help. And um, some of them are helping because it's their job. And others are helping because it's in their spirit to do so. Some are vulnerable as they help. 
and some who are being helped have, um, have uh, cut down their ego enough to receive the help. But I had never taken a walk like this before. I've been here six years in this town, and I had never walked in this way. And what happened was, in those moments from nine to three, my vision expanded. My heart expanded. My circle expanded. And who I can exclude from my circle of care and compassion shrunk. Next month, every Thursday of May, I'll be teaching a class on Richard Rohr, the fellow whose reading we just heard. Uh, he's a contemplative, he's a teacher, he writes about the spiritual way. He's Catholic, but he sounds very unity, and he teaches in a very unity way. One of his great themes is that everything belongs. No one needs to be scapegoated or excluded. Everything belongs. We know from cultural studies and historical experience that groups define themselves and even hold themselves together largely negatively by who they are not, what they're against, what they do not do. We need a problem or an enemy to gather our energies. We usually define ourselves through various purity codes to separate ourselves from the impure and the unworthy. Pure worship, what we are for, are in support of, what we love, is much harder to sustain. Thus, most reformations and revolutions need someone else to be wrong more than they need any discovery of a higher level of consciousness themselves. This is a core problem. Make sense? Right? Yes, makes sense. Um, Jesus never affirmed opposition or contrariness because he knew it was merely a same level or lower level response to the problem. The new group was infected by the same hubris and oppositional energy and would soon engender the same kind of reformation. Thus the endless progressive conservative pendulum continues to swing and we do not move forward spiritually. We are trying now to not make this mistake. And we hope to be an inclusive notion of religion that is not against this or that. Evil and sin do need to be named and exposed, but not directly fought. And this is the role of prophetic religion. Illusion, he calls it. Illusion, the illusion of separateness, the illusion of superiority, Illusion only needs to be named and exposed truthfully, and they die in exposure to the light. Right? So the question he asked is, how can we continuously expand our circle of compassion? How can we begin to see that everything is connected and everything is united? That's his work. Everything belongs, and no one needs to be scapegoated or excluded. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Remember a couple of weeks, the last time I spoke here, as we walked in, it was a beautiful blue sky day. It was a beautiful early spring day. And the tree out there, do you remember the tree out there? 
It was pink and purple and a firework of joy. And everybody noticed that tree. And I've been thinking about that tree ever since. I mean, I really believe that tree was a sacrament. That that tree was like holy communion. That tree was pointing us to the beauty of all creation. But as I've been thinking about that tree, what strikes me is that at one point it was a tiny little seed, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's correct, right? I mean, I think so, right? It was a tiny little seed. Um, and, and it withstood all of the mucky wetness of spring, and it withstood the cold, hard winters and the big winds that come up on this mesa. And now here it is, this beautiful sacrament. But it started as a little seed. And I, and I think about the Midwest where I'm from. I grew up in Illinois. I spent a lot of time in Iowa. And, you know, there are fields there where you can see forever. The only thing that will interrupt it is a silo here or a barn there or a cluster of trees somewhere. But you can see forever. And, and at this time of year, you can see forever and it's just flat ground. And there are tractors that are going along now, and they're tilling the ground, and they're preparing the way. And soon seeds will go into the ground, and in a couple of weeks, little sprouts will come up, and soon there will be corn as you know, taller than we are. But it all begins with a small spring seed. What seed is growing inside of you? On this spring day, what seed is being nurtured in your spirit? Maybe life is tough right now. Maybe you're facing addiction. Maybe you're facing broken relationships. And the seed that you need to have growing in you is a seed of hope. Or maybe work is boring. You're, in a, you're stuck in a rut And maybe the seed that needs to grow in you is the seed of imagination. So that come harvest time, a new field will be before you. Maybe times are tough. Maybe you're feeling beaten down. And the seed that needs to grow in you is a seed of resilience. Compassion, love, hope, whatever it is, Something is growing in you. And the important thing is that you feel worthy to receive and to give the love that is growing, the hope that is growing, the resilience that's growing, the imagination that's growing. As I think about seeds, I think about a a story from the Buddha tradition. There was a woman, her child had died, her loving child that she had invested so much in, had such great hopes for. The child was dead. And she went from neighbor to neighbor, and she knocked on the door, and she said, give me some medicine, give me some medicine that my child might get better. And her neighbor said, we cannot do this, your child is dead. She went to the next one, medicine, I need medicine. And they said, we can't do this. She heard that the Buddha was in town talking and teaching. And she went to the Buddha and she said, 
Buddha, I'm sorry to interrupt, but my child, my child is, um, is not well and I need medicine. And the Buddha, having compassion for this woman, said, what you must do is go to your neighbors and ask for a mustard seed. You know this story? You go and ask for a mustard seed. And accept the mustard seed only from the person who doesn't know about loss or grief or death. And your child will be well. So she knocks, she goes to the neighbor. She says, I need a mustard seed. I need a mustard seed that my child might be well. And the neighbor is like, Of course, of course, I'll get you a mustard seed. And then she remembered, but only if they don't know about loss or grief. But I can only accept it from you if you don't know about loss or grief. And the neighbor said, of course I know about loss or grief. Let me tell you about the death of my mother. Of course, I grieve so long. So she knew she couldn't take the mustard seed as medicine, but she heard this story of loss. She went to the next neighbor. I need a mustard seed that my child might be well but I can only take it if you don't know anything about loss or grief. And the man said, of course I know about loss or grief. And he began to tell about the death of his brother and the loss and grief he felt. And she began to realize what the Buddha had done in that moment. There was no saving her child, but she knew that she was not alone in her suffering. And the seed of compassion inside her grew and became stronger. And her sense of being connected to all of life, even in its grief, even in its sorrow, even in its setback, her connection grew because she knew she was not alone. And that even in the midst of great difficulty, the seed of life and the seed of love and the seed of connectedness and compassion could grow in her. These are the stories I think about when I think about seeds. What is growing in you, friends? What seed is growing in you?